Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Secretary in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications at the Homeland Security Department's National Protection and Programs Directorate. Jeanette, this is a special edition of Ask the CIO, given it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month, October. So thank you for joining me, as always. Thank you for having me. Over the last few years, I've had DHS on. We've had these conversations, so there's a ton to kind of catch up on, and we're going to go deep into the federal network stuff. But before we do that, uh, I always like to start off with, hey, look, it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month once again. 2018 is here. So what's the big message DHS is really sending to federal employees, contractors about cybersecurity? Cybersecurity Awareness Month, a big month for us uh, every year. And what we're doing this year is uh, really focusing on you know the overarching theme remaining cybersecurity shared responsibility, government, companies, groups, individuals. We've talked about this in years past, but we've, we've really evolved that message to it, it's not just about a shared responsibility. It's about creating a model of what we refer to as collective defense and that everybody has got a role in raising our defenses and making it harder for these bad actors. And we've got to work together in a way that we've probably really never done before. And so the government needs to lean further forward in how we work with the private companies companies, how we work with the public, how we work with our own systems. And then we're asking everybody from, you know, the individual consumer all the way up to uh, CEOs to make uh, cybersecurity a, a priority in everything that they do. Under that, we're also very focused on workforce this year. I really see the challenges around cybersecurity workforce and having a strong pipeline of qualified cybersecurity professionals uh, that can work in the private sector, the federal government, state and local, as a real issue. And, and I believe it's an actually it's a national security issue. So this has become one of our top priorities. And DHS has done a lot of work in um, workforce over the years. We have K through 12 curriculums that we do. We sponsor with NSA and the National Science Foundation, schools, universities, and and have scholarship programs, but we really want to sort of level up that level of engagement across the country, get out into schools, help people understand that there there are tools available to them, help teachers understand that this is a career path, that they can start driving students who might have the aptitude or the interest, uh, partnering with the private sector partnering with our global partners, whether that's the U.K. or Australia or others, and, and really sort of making a, a big effort, not just in October, but, you know, kicking off a, a series of activities that will, um, what, I, what I hope is raise a level of commitment to, to getting this, uh, this workforce stronger and, uh, and, and into the various different pipelines that we, that we all need. A couple things there to unpack. The first is the collective responsibility, and I think that's a theme I've seen, obviously, over the last few years as well. Maybe talk a little about from a federal perspective, how are you communicating that? How are you ensuring that the CFO types, right, the chief acquisition officers, all the way down to the CISOs and CIOs know that this is everyone's responsibility, not just, hey, those guys or gals in the room back there that, that monitor the logs? The federal government has challenges, much like a you know large corporation does, in thinking about cybersecurity. It, just as you said, it, it's not something that you can delegate to a group of technical folks that you give a closet somewhere to to go figure things out and and hope that if you just give them more money, they're going to solve it. It's got to be something that the head of the organization, you know, on the federal side in this case, the, the head of the agency, is considering their cyber risk as a part of their 
overall mission risk. And, you know, this is a priority in the administration starting in the uh, president's executive order from May of last year, is really honing in on this need for responsibility and accountability at, starting at the agency head level. And we've made a lot of progress in, you know, getting that sort of senior leadership appreciation of the risk that they face. But this requires everything from thinking about third-party risk that the government is accumulating um, our procurement processes. Are those to an appropriate way to be able to take uh, cyber risk and, and put that into our procurement processes, all the way up to, you know, as you said, a a COO or a chief risk officer or a chief financial officer um, being able to understand that the decisions that, that they're making and the policies that they're putting in place can have an impact based off of the systems that they're approving. It's also about empowering CIOs um, at the agency level and giving them the tools. You know, from my perspective at DHS, we're, we're giving them the tools and the resources, whether that's through our continuous diagnostics and mitigation or through our national cyber protection system or assessments or, you know, sort of other technical assistance, but also, you know, helping them with governance and, and helping them, not as if they don't take security seriously, but giving them the tools that um, that they need and are often, frankly, you know, resources are um, are tight. And um, so being able to help them do do what they need to be able to do and, and work in partnership. So that's that's been our focus for the past year. We'll continue to, to have that focus, really emphasizing that in October, looking for specific things that we can take on as a federal government that, you know, could really make our systems uh, leaps and bounds more secure without, you know, like I said, trying to apply a bunch of limited resources to um, sort of individual solutions. So I know one of those activities is through a supply chain risk management approach that you guys are working on. I know there's a recent request for information that's out there. At the same time, that's the acquisition side. How are you working with the other side? Are, Are you Jeanette Manfro, or is your boss maybe Chris Krebs meeting with deputy secretaries, meeting with CFO types? Are you guys going out to agencies, and whether it's this month in October because it's a National Cyber Cybersecurity Awareness Month, or just throughout the year, and and having those conversations and reminding them, and really reinforcing the point that that this is a shared collective responsibility. It's already something that we've started. It's not something that will we'll start in October. I've met with multiple secretaries, deputy secretaries. We have a, a great partnership with Margaret Weikert and Suzette Kent over in OMB and sort of you know, taking on the IT modernization initiative and, and sort of pairing that with the security work that we're trying to do and, and helping agencies uh, understand better where the risk actually is. Is, which kind of gets to the you know, making sure they have the right tools to be able to understand, you know, what does their tax surface look like? Where are their vulnerabilities? Where can we sort of apply these resources? You know, I think every every sort of agency head is is very engaged in this topic. Deputy secretaries are engaged in a way that I've I've honestly not seen before, um, and I think that's happened. We'll continue to to do that. You know, in October, uh, really pushing uh, in particular. And federal workforce. I talked about kind of the national workforce, but you know, do agencies have the workforce they need? Are there additional trainings that we can provide? Can DHS, who's already funded things like the Fed Federal Virtual Training Environment, we refer to it as FedVT, training courses that we have already uh, paid for, that's available for for all federal employees. And um, so it, it's sort of there'll be some extra kind of push along those areas, making sure that agencies know the tools that are available to them. 
but um, because you know, really beginning in the, the sort of the tasks and the executive order from last year, I think we've made tremendous progress in agency leadership, DHS and OMB, having a, a real sense of we understand what our risk posture is, and now we're taking actions to reduce that risk through the different tools we have available to us. It's interesting you say that the level of engagement or level of interest from deputy secretaries is unlike what you've seen before. Uh, without asking you to compare and contrast, but what's different? Is it is it the questions they're asking? Is it the meetings they're taking? Is it the what that is standing out to you when you look at that that C-level executive? It's a um, you know higher prioritization within the agencies. You know you see deputy secretaries requesting to participate in in uh, you know sort of engagements that may have only, you know, been at a CISO level, if they had a CISO, you're seeing agencies, you know, focus on uh, resourcing their security operations uh, more. So it's, every everything is different. And of course, this is not to say that there were agencies, pre- you know, that we, they weren't taking it seriously. Many of these agencies have been taking this very seriously for a long time. But what I see is a much more sort of concerted focus from that, that C-suite level and much more ability for CIOs and, and CISOs to have access to their leadership, to be a part of those risk management conversations, and to be in a position where they're getting more of the resources that they need, which in, in some agencies is often you know, quite competitive when you're looking in, you know, in terms of shrinking budgets, et cetera. So those, those would be sort of some of the anecdotal type things that I'm, I'm seeing. You know, also requiring a, agency heads and uh, and, and deputies to be fully cognizant of what their risk management determinations have been, elevating the level of sign-off, if you will. Some of this is bureaucratic, but it's important for how the how the federal government manages its risk to um, you know ensure that that accountability is there at a senior level. And I'm, you know I'm really seeing across the board uh, the leadership sort of rise to the occasion. On that note, let's take a quick break. My guest is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Secretary in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications in the Homeland Security Department's National Protection and Programs Directorate. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Here's Damika Adams, Principal at Grant Thornton, on digitizing financial management. There's a lot of discussion around bots and machine learning and AI. It's all technology. And there's an absence of a discussion around the people. So we have to be more aware of the impact of this technology on the workforce in order to really truly optimize the outcomes of this technology. For the full discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com keyword data chaos. What's on the horizon for cybersecurity professionals? Here's Dr. Ahmed Nauman, Dean of the School of STEM at American Military University. These actors range from state-level actors, and it's important to know, it's sometimes hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys. They address areas typically concerned with national security, and the attackers are trying to get access to defense information and related sorts of things. But then there are also criminal activity. Listen to the entire discussion at federalnewsradio.com, keyword AMU. American Military University has long been a respected provider of higher education to the intelligence community. And today they're leading the way with innovative doctoral programs in global security and strategic intelligence, attracting professionals rising to the top of their fields. Doctoral applications are now being accepted for January, and AMU's affordable bachelor's and master's programs start monthly to fit your schedule. Visit amuonline.com to get started. AMU is part of American Public University System, which is certified to operate by CHEV. 
When you're fearless, you can take time to enjoy the view. That's why I have FEP Blue Vision. With free eye exams, fully covered frames, and access to 75,000 eye care providers nationwide, it helps me discover what matters most. There it goes. You can learn more at fepbluevision.com. Limitations and exclusions apply. See the 2019 FEP Blue Vision brochure for details. A federal career can last 30 years or more, and so can your federal retirement. Tune in to For Your Benefit every Monday morning to get the information you need to plan your retirement, maximize your federal benefits, and increase your financial savvy. For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEFA, offers valuable information on topics of interest to the federal employee. Join us each Monday at 10.05 a.m. on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For additional information, visit NITPINC.com. Tom Tamman here, coming up on Friday's Federal Drive. Veterans Affairs prepares to replace its website with a new one designed to make life easier for the veterans. Many of them helped design it. Plus, what the national cyber strategy, the first since 2008, means for federal agencies. Analysis from the Internet Security Alliance. Join me Friday morning starting at 6 for the Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Federalnewsnetwork.com at 1500 a.m. News critical to your federal career. Subscribe to the Morning Federal Report at Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. In honor of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, my guest is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Secretary in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications in the Homeland Security Department's National Protection Programs Directorate. I want to shift over to the workforce piece. You mentioned this idea of being collective, but but training the workforce. And, and I think there's two pieces here. There's the people who do cyber work, and then there's the people who do work that happens to be have a cyber component to it. And and let me maybe put a finer piece of it. The people who work in the CIO's office, the people who work in the CISO with the CISO on protecting networks and data and systems, that, that's doing cyber work. But then there's the average person, the program manager, the, again, I'll go back to the CFO, the CAO, that have a that do work that includes cyber. Maybe talk a little bit about how DHS maybe is going down these two parallel paths to make sure that the training is happening. You mentioned some of the good courses that are available. Are there other things, other initiatives you're looking at, whether just obviously beyond October? A lot of the focus uh, we need to is on ensuring that people who are cybersecurity professionals in agencies have the skills that they need to do their job. But you're absolutely right. Another area of focus is, you know, for example, um, training for procurement officials so that they have a, a better sense of, of what it means to uh, understand uh, the cybersecurity risk that a, a given vendor. Now, this is all in the construct of, you know, our existing regulations and all of that. But, you know, just training procurement officials to, to have that awareness, I think, is really important. Also, you know, in, in really starting in the high-value asset space is ensuring that the, the mission owner is involved in the risk decisions and, and has a sense of how cyber risk can impact their mission risk. So, you know, really even going down below CFOs and, and those folks, they, they also need to have that awareness, but, but really all the way down into, you know, people who are managing a, a large program that's been identified as having a high value asset 
is, is sort of working with them. You are the mission owner here and, and making sure that they have the, um, the skills and the resources they need to be asking the right questions um, and, and, frankly, demanding more secure solutions. And, um, and we've been working on deploying some tools, whether that's mapping their supply chain, helping them understand what that looks like, or, or just even just general kind of here's what cybersecurity actually means. Um, if, you, if you're not in this space, uh, it, it can be a bit daunting. And, and so helping uh, folks who, who may not have a background in technology understand what this means, what we're talking about, things like the NIST cyber framework, what does that mean, how do you apply that to your mission, those, those sorts of things. I always like to use National Cybersecurity Awareness Month as a kind of a state of the union, right? It's a good time to check in. So let's let's talk more broadly than than just National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, but but give me a state of federal cybersecurity. What are some of the trends you're seeing? Are, are things better today than they were last year? You know, the short answer is I think um, we've made a tremendous amount of progress, and this is the collective we, not just uh, DHS, but agencies. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, everything from all the the work that I just talked about, you know, rethinking about the fact that this is risk that has to be incorporated into, you know, overall mission decisions that are made, resource decisions that are made, but also in the deployment of tools. You know, we've made a lot of progress in um, deploying our continuous diagnostics and mitigation tools. We've uh, made progress with um, how we're uh, improving the security of you know, what we refer, refer to as these high-value assets. Um, we've got, you know, now quite a bit of uh, assessments that we've done for agencies, everything from engineering and architectural reviews to pen testing and red teaming. And um, I, I, so I think what I would say is my goal for the last year was in, a, in addition to actually deploying all the tools that we need to deploy and improving the technologies that we're providing and the solutions we're providing, but to really build a, a community between, um, you know, CISOs, CIOs, um, and us where we are um, understanding what their challenges are, understanding what their risk postures are, and orienting our, ourselves, everything from policies and finding operational directives all the way down to the, the technology that we're deploying. And so I, I feel like we're, getting, we're, we're at the point where it's not just the deployment of technologies, we're actually operationalizing what those technologies are doing and improving security as a result in reducing the risk that's identified. That's not to say that we don't have a lot more work to do um, and that, you know, we're going to be doing a lot more in FY19, but um, I, I think the last year we've, uh, we, we've really changed the nature of how um, the government is sort of working together and thinking of ourselves as an enterprise, and we have enterprise risk, and um, in, in, in we can we can manage that better, and we have the tools to do that. You went through a bunch of my favorite programs, so many <laughs> I want to talk about, but I'm going I'm to start with one that maybe you, you mentioned, but not by name. When you talk about the architecture reviews, one of the big new programs I think that's coming out is something that, that I've seen presented as GovCar, uh, and this mm-hmm. is obviously government cyber architecture review. Are you able to give me a little bit of insight in terms of where you're going with that program? So we have two different things that are referring to architecture reviews. So we have an external assessment um, that we provide to largely focused on high-value assets. We actually sit down with them and, and, and provide them a, an assessment of their architecture of the, of the system and where there may be some um, risk that, that they could close or reduce through perhaps a different way of, of architecting the system. 
GovCar um, is also a, a pretty cool thing we've done, and the concept is, if you're familiar with the MITRE attack framework, and, and so taking that, and while we've been for, for years heavily engaged in understanding vulnerabilities and working to close those vulnerabilities and looking to design our systems better and, and those sorts of things, is what this is doing is actually looking at from the threat side. And, and so it's sort of taking this attack framework and, uh, and applying it against the capabilities. And we started with just applying it against the capabilities that we deploy, um, Einstein, CDM, those, those sorts of things. And, you know, doing an analysis that says, so how, how well do these capabilities stack up against these different tactics, techniques, and procedures that are, you know, sort of common adversary? activities. And, um, and we've iterated on it, on it several times. It's, it's been very useful for us to sort of look at, you know, well, maybe there's a, um, a different way that we could look at deploying some technologies. Maybe there's a, um, a better return on investment by applying a technology to, to counter uh, sort of a very common TTP. That might be an enterprise-wide issue. But then we've also started to apply it to, you know, looking at like a, a, a cloud deployment and uh, looking at sort of the, the suite of tools that we have and, and, and thinking about, and this is a goal that we're, we're not quite there yet, um, but to get to the point where I've got all of my capabilities that DHS provides um, and, and then we've got it assessed against a cloud deployment, a mobile deployment, those sorts of things. And we can turn those into, here's where DHS can best apply our resources to counter these threats. Here's where it makes more sense for agencies. You know, this is really going back to, you know, just a little bit more definition on what defense in depth means. Here's where agencies um, should consider investing. Here's some best practices for how you, you know, may take on a cloud deployment to um, counter some of these some of these activities. But it also allows me to start to look at, you know, if you've got a, a, a common TTP, does it make more sense for me to deploy a technology, or is there a policy? that change that we could put in place that would counter that? Or is there an operational process that we could adjust that would, would counter that? You know, that's, that's a threat-based look. We still need to continue to, to look at it from the vulnerabilities and consequences, but kind of marry all of those up as a good way to assess how do we best deploy our, our, our various different resources and tools between, again, DHS agencies and, and OMB to have a more targeted impact against these, these known activities. It almost sounds like the GovCar approach was used, for instance, with some of the binding operational directives. Let's take Kaspersky, and I know there's some sensitivities because there's an ongoing lawsuit, but is, is that kind of the approach you're using is, okay, what's the best way to deal with, and let's just use a, a vendor X's supply, right, of software or hardware. How would you address that? Well, we could put this patch in there, or we could come up with a binding operational directive, or we could do, it opens up the aperture, if you will, yeah. of, of all the different potential steps you could take. Right. No, I think that's an absolutely fair characterization, you know, and, and you can absolutely make it generic is oftentimes people sort of get locked into a specific tool and, and you know, then what is it every, um, if you have a hammer, every problem's a nail or, or something like that. 
we need to have a, a broader look. We, we now have, after legislation's been passed, a variety of different things over the past few years, we actually have quite a, a, a suite of, of tools available to us, and, uh, and as do agencies. And so, so that's exactly it, is, is sort of looking at, here's the problem, what's the best way to address it, whether that's technical, operational, or policy? I want to jump to some of the other uh, topics that you mentioned, CDM, Einstein. But before I do that, just GovCar, I, I know it's just getting started. Do you expect assessments in 2019 to begin for other agencies, or are you still focused on the DHS side? Where are you at with that initiative? Yeah, we've completed most of the internal DHS assessments. And then, uh, yeah, the idea is to start to, to work with other agencies in the future. We are looking, and particularly in, as we're thinking about all the IT modernization work and, and trying to sort of shift the way the government sort of thinks about this, its IT, its overall IT governance and management, procurement, et cetera. And so we're in this space right now where what we're really looking at is models, and you're saying, here's, here's what a cloud deployment may look like, not assessing a specific instance of it, but here's what a typical cloud deployment would look like for, for you know, this typical type of system. Um, assess that, and then that could lead into some, some best practices. But, yeah, there are some agencies that I'm, I'm sure w would be interested. And as, as we iterate, you know, we're doing these in, in sort of spins. Um, it, it, we learn more. It gets faster. It gets better every time. And, um, you know, so I think we'll definitely be getting to the point of um, being able to provide this to, to agencies as well. On that note, let's take a quick break. My guest is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Secretary in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications in the Homeland Security Department's National Protection and Programs Directorate. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. What are artificial intelligence and cognitive computing? How is the public sector using AI? What are some of the key challenges and opportunities in the public sector's use of AI? Join host Michael Keegan for a special edition of the Business of Government Hour. Conversations with authors with Kevin D'Souza, author of the IBM Center Report, Delivering Artificial Intelligence in Government, Challenges and Opportunities. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. The Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on the Federal News Network. Here's Dorothy Aronson, Chief Information Officer, National Science Foundation, on Running the Numbers, how data analytics is transforming government finance panel discussion, sponsored by EY. The CFO office has become a leader, an innovator, in adopting new technologies as they arrive. They lean forward. It's always the financial applications, really, that are the first to embrace technology. To listen to the whole program, log on to Federal federalnewsnetwork.com. Search EY Data Analytics. Technology providers are innovating analytical tools at a rapid pace. They include cloud-based analytics, ERP big data capabilities, and business performance management applications. But the pace of change can make it difficult for organizations to define what analytical capabilities they should invest in. That's where EY comes in. EY's government and public sector team can help your federal finance organization design, implement, and utilize advanced analytics in support of the finance function. Learn more at ey.com slash gov public sector. Tune in on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Carisoft. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff. Cybersecurity, big data, mobility, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on Federal News 
newsnetwork.com and 1500 AM. Search Innovation in Government. Melwood Veteran Services is a nonprofit organization within the Melwood family. MVS provides a variety of services to our nation's warfighters, including career and community reintegration. MVS grew out of Operation Tahidu, which is a transformative retreat program. This approach encourages participants to view life with a renewed purpose and positivity. For information, visit melwood.org. This message is brought to you by McCray Heating and Air. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. In honor of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, my guest is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Secretary in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications in the Homeland Security Department's National Protection Programs Directorate. Let me shift over to the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program. I've heard from Kevin Cox, the Program Manager for CDM recently. I know uh, the, all the DEFEND uh, RFQs have been awarded. I think you've gone through all the protest periods. Mm-hmm. So th- that phase two types of technologies are starting to be implemented. I know phase one is about 90% done. So maybe give me a sense, instead of telling me kind of where we are with CDM, maybe give me a sense of one, the impact it's having that you see from your level, and then what does 2019 hold, yeah. again, from an impact perspective? We're moving away from the concepts of phases because the value of CDM is it's it's sort of it's unique in a couple of ways. The fact that Congress is appropriating DHS money to then procure tools for other agencies is, is very unique, and it's proving cost-effective. It's also proving operationally effective, though admittedly we need to continue to do work to fully operationalize these tools. And, you know, so we really see it as a, as a way to continually deploy capabilities that make sense to, to deploy across agencies' internal networks. And so, uh, as you mentioned, phase one is pretty near full completion of um, deployment. And, and what that really does for us is, and, and, and for agencies, is provide a level of visibility into you know, what I guess I would refer to as your attack surface. You know, what's on your, what's on your network? And a lot of agencies didn't have that uh, fidelity before. Some, some did. Some were pretty good at this. Some had a, a fair amount of continuous monitoring tools deployed. But, but now you sort of have standard tool sets uh, that are, are being deployed and um, in, the, in this level of visibility. And with the, when you're adding the kind of the dashboard into it, what's, what we're going to focus on is vulnerability management first, because that is, and we've had binding operational directives that have been quite successful in looking at internet-facing systems and, and reducing the time to patch those, on those. And what we really think is going to be the most sort of beneficial is improving our insight into uh, vulnerabilities, both at the DHS level, um, but frankly more so at the agency level, and, and starting to improve the way that the government manages uh, vulnerabilities uh, across uh, across the government. And, um, you know, sort of the um, ability for uh, DHS to assign risk scores for agencies, agencies to set their own risk, risk scores, and, and you can eventually be able to toggle that based off of severity of vulnerabilities. So, you know, I kind of 
like in, you know, I think back to the days of Heartbleed when, you know, we're doing data calls with spreadsheets and uh, all the way to the point where we want to be, where we have near real-time insight into what vulnerabilities across, exist across, you know, what platforms that allows agencies to focus their efforts in a, in a way that doesn't currently exist. So that'll be a big focus for FY19 is, is really improving our vulnerability management process for our internal systems. When you talk about assigned risk scores, I think you guys have talked about that a little bit. Where are you with that in terms of developing the measures and metrics to, okay, what, what, is, a, what is a one versus what is a five? It's, it's not going to be sort of a one to five that way. You know, we've, we've working with the agencies to develop an algorithm that makes sense. It's sort of testing it out the first time that really done something like this. So I imagine it's going to take some time to get it sort of tuned just just right. We we do mostly intend for it to be a tool for the agencies to in to sort of understand where they are and have a a, a measurable way of demonstrating progress in a in sort of a simpler to understand score. And then again for us to be able to, you know, I Ideally, by the end of the fiscal year, this is all kind of up next year, all, all up and running, where vulnerability gets assigned a CVE score, something we're very concerned about. We both, it's a, both a, a critical vulnerability, but it's one we're also very exposed to. Um, DHS can sort of kind of toggle everybody's risk score up, if you will, and, and start to focus, uh, focus the effort. So, you know, I think we're in the early stages of it, uh, and uh, it'll be a big focus for us over the next uh, fiscal year. Just please tell me it's not going to be another red, yellow, green situation. I, <laughs> I guess for one through five, maybe one through ten, but that sounds like maybe you, you may end up going red, yellow, green, huh? Oh, uh, you know, yeah, so people love uh, red, yellow, green. Uh, yes, I am also a little bit nervous about oversimplifying something as, as complicated as a, as, a, as a risk score. And, and that's why we want to ensure that you know we work with a couple of agencies and and and, and really tune the the algorithm, make sure that it makes sense. Um, and uh, the the idea is whether there's colors or not. I'm sure, knowing the government, we will land with colors. There you go. Um, but but there will be a number score with some precision and I think a logical defensibility behind of, of why you get there. But it's it's going to be. It's going to be a relative score, if that makes sense. An agency is going to want to reduce their number to get uh, to demonstrate that they're they're getting better. But there's no sort of perfect um, algorithm out there that you can kind of say, oh yeah, everybody's in the red. Um, it, it it sort of takes a, an understanding of here's the different risk choices, here's the you know sort of here's the things that we believe um, are indicators that um, somebody has to sort of improve. Yes, you will probably see red, yellow, green. Well, I was going to say, maybe you could do like blue, magenta, and like brown or something. I'll I'll have my son pick the color. There you go. I'm I'm sure they'll be quite interesting. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to shift over to another big priority in uh, the the Einstein program under the National Cybersecurity Protection System, NCPS. Uh, Again, uh, not looking for necessarily an update of how many people are using Einstein capabilities one, two, or three, but what does it mean for DHS and uh, as you're getting that data back and how are you using it to make those decisions? Similar to CDM is we've invested a lot in the, the capability, the technology, and, um, and we've spent the last year and we'll continue on the, in the FY19 is ensuring that we are investing both within DHS 
but also in other agencies, is, is to, to make them operationally relevant. You know, SOCs have to know how to use this information. We have to be able to communicate to the right people. We have to have the analytics in place to make best use of that. And we've been very focused on that over the, the past year. Uh, that'll continue to be a focus. We've been working with agencies to try to better understand um, challenges that they may have with make, making sure that these uh, tools under um, I'd say NCPS, National Cyber Protection System, is the broad program, Einstein's the sensors, and uh, to, to, but just to make sure that they understand how best to use it. Another area, it will, kind of two areas that we've been looking at for, for some time is, you know, can we implement some behavioral analytics, that's what I would call them, is, you know, looking at sort of developments in non-signature-based detection capabilities. We've we've had some success in that, you know, what I would call a limited uh, deployment in that, so we're going to be expanding that. Looking at cloud, I think this is really important for us is the, the model of the Einstein sensors are, you know, our IDS and IPS solutions. It's very much based on an uh, on-premise model with a perimeter, and 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 having the trusted internet connections and and all of that, and and so this kind of links to again going going back into the IT modernization, um, refreshing the TIC reference architecture, TIC 3.0 is you know thinking about IT is different now, and and how do we reorient our our security tools to be able to take advantage of those technologies, while also ensuring that we maintain the, the visibility, the uh, operational benefits from oh, the, the deployments that we currently have. So we're working through that, made a fair amount of progress in, in thinking about that, and, and in 19, uh, you know, we'll start, um, uh, start to make some changes based off of the results of some pilots, as I said, the TIC reference architecture, and um, in working with agencies who are perhaps more advanced in, in deploying some, some new solutions. I know we're waiting to hear from OMB around a new tick policy. I know Suzette Kent, the federal CIO, has mm-hmm. been talking about it for quite a bit. So uh, without going into too many details there, can you maybe talk a little bit about when you talk about the limited deployment has some successes on non-signature-based models? When you when you talk non-signature, what, how do you define that? I would define that as it's trying to identify malicious activity where we don't have any a fair amount of specificity about the threat vector is vulnerability. It's looking for abnormal behavior, and so kind of baselining that's what's normal, uh, and then uh, in sort of having the ability and the tools in place to uh, alert when you've got something that's abnormal. Now, then of course you've got to have somebody that's, that's looking into that, but um, but the, so that's that's what that's focused on. On that note, let's take a quick break. My guest is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Secretary in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications in the Homeland Security Department's National Protection and Programs Directorate. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is Jared Serbu. I'm tweeting daily about the news that's interesting and important to the armed services and the defense contractors who serve them. Follow me at WFED. And now with the Cyber Insider, where experts explore the topics and trends on the front line of cybersecurity, is John DeSimone, Vice President for Cybersecurity and Special Missions at Raytheon. October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Each year, government and industry come together to raise awareness about the importance of cybersecurity. When we're all protected, we create a more resilient nation. Our country faces a critical need for skilled cyber experts. Focusing on STEM education and workforce diversity keeps us ahead of the threat. Raytheon partners with the Boys and Girls Clubs of America 
and Girl Scouts of the United States of America to inspire and train the next generation of cyber operators and defenders. We also sponsor a national collegiate cyber defense competition, bringing hands-on experience outside the classroom. These programs are critical to developing future cybersecurity experts. When everything is connected, security is everything. Raytheon works closely with government agencies, businesses, and nations to defend against advanced cyber threats across every side of cyber. Learn how at Raytheon.com cyber. Please join Luke McCormack Tuesday, October 30th at noon for his monthly series, The Federal Executive Forum, proudly celebrating 13 years. This month's program will focus on federal networks, next generation strategies and technologies in government. The panel includes government leaders from DISA, NASA, the State Department, and CBP. Don't miss The Federal Executive Forum Tuesday, October 30th at noon right here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, sponsored by Verizon, Citrix, and Palo Alto Networks. Hey, honey, what's going on? I was just logging in and checking on our accounts, and ugh, I thought we were going to do better this year. I know. I, I've been trying to watch what I spend. No more stopping for coffee for me. I don't think giving up coffee is going to do it. We need more income for our day-to-day, -day, not to mention setting aside something for the kids' college and our retirement. Man, I wish there was an answer. For most of us, no one ever taught us how to invest, yet it's a skill that we all need. If you're looking to generate extra income, Online Trading Academy, the leader in financial education, can help. Attend one of Online Trading Academy's free introductory classes, and they'll show you how to create monthly, weekly, or even daily income using their patented supply and demand strategy. Plus, this month, they'll send you home with their free investor kit, loaded with guides to smarter investing and lessons from the pros just for attending. Register now by calling 888-338-RSVP, 888-338-7787, or otaclass.com, 888-338-RSVP, or otaclass.com. Hi, this is Sean Kelly, host of CyberChat. As a former federal CIO and CISO, I can tell you the threat landscape is a dynamic and evolving matter. My conversations with federal leaders from across the government focus on the latest trends and hottest cyber topics and challenges. Join me for a high-level conversation about how agencies maintain mission security. Tune in Friday mornings at 10.30 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, or subscribe on iTunes and Podcast One. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. In honor of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, my guest is Jeanette Manfra, the Assistant Secretary in the Office of Cybersecurity Communications in the Homeland Security Department's National Protection Programs Directorate. One other area I want to jump into real quick as well around initiatives is this both the two BODs, one obviously Kaspersky, one is DMARC. I know the Kaspersky's hung up with some court issues, so I'm not sure how much you can say about that, but let's maybe talk about the DMARC effort to improve email and, and more secure websites and maybe talk more broadly about how the, the binding operational directive is part of a maybe broader strategy that DHS is using to, to address common vulnerabilities or systemic vulnerabilities. The thing that lessons learned years of trying to assess agencies, you know, where measure them, where are they in terms of cybersecurity? How do we make improvements? You know, I sort of call them as, you know, they have to be Talent, tangible and valid for the entire enterprise. Um, and our first binding operational directive way back in 2015, sort of focusing on um, reducing the time to patch for critical vulnerabilities uh, for Internet-facing systems, which seems like a, a very narrowly defined thing, but, you know, as anybody who's in this business knows that, you know, 
patching people out is a, is a pretty good way to, uh, to keep the adversaries from, from accessing. Um, and at the time, we had the capability to scan, it, which we, you know, we still do, but um, it's evolved since then, but to scan um, Internet-facing systems. And, and, the, and just reporting on that and having that report go to you know, the secretaries and the deputy secretaries on a regular basis, it's completely changed the uh, prioritization and the culture within federal agencies. It's now you know, sort of we've got consistent the industry standard for time to patch for critical vulnerabilities. And so we, we wanted to be very focused, and we realized that these directives can be tremendously impactful, but we have to have a way to measure progress and um, and we also realized that we could um, impact a larger ecosystem, and it's not just about you know sort of challenges that the federal government is facing. A lot of other enterprises are facing this. So people refer to it as the DMARC Bob, but it's actually broader. You know, it's email and web security, and you know we looked at things like implementation of HTTPS. Didn't seem to be making as much progress as we like getting rid of, you know, outdated uh, cipher, those sorts of things. And so we kind of put that all together. And it's probably one of our most challenging directives that we've, we've issued and uh, in, in terms of it's not an easy lift for, for agencies. But I think it was really important, and, and you know, we're now – I believe, we're now sort of having a, a leadership role, and because the federal agencies now are required to implement these changes, the vendors who provide those solutions have to do it. And just the way it works, they're not going to do it just for us. They change, and, and every sort of uh, user of those systems is now going to benefit from the changes that they made from federal agencies. So we really we recognize that the, the bots can be a very powerful tool, and so we do try to use them selectively. And you know, we have pretty high criteria for, for how we use them, but, um, but we think that this approach is, is really effective. I know that you guys across the government will not at 100% for the DMARC bot, uh, but at the same time, the progress you, the agencies will make is important. From your perspective, what can DHS do to both exercise some of its authority, but also responsibility to ensure that agencies are fixing and, and implementing these standards to improve email security and, and other website security pieces? In a lot of cases, it's, it's just complicated. And, uh, you know, I don't have any instance of an agency that's like, oh, I'm just not going to do this. I'm not interested. Um, it's, it's just complicated for them. So providing them some uh, addition, additional assistance to be able to work through that, and we're, we're still working through this, is, you know, if we've got a, a fair amount of agencies that are struggling with the same thing, maybe we can sort of offer some, some broader enterprise-wide assistance. You know, I think in some cases you've got agencies where the vendors just aren't, aren't ready to implement some of the changes. So, you know, we're going to continue to, to work with those vendors, those uh, providers, to, to ensure we can get that. Um, but I think, yeah, those are, those are sort of the main areas where, where we're focused. Jenna, I know we're just about out of time, but before I let you go, I've got to ask about supply chain. It's one of my okay. uh, topics that, that I'm most yeah. excited about when it comes to cybersecurity. I know that you guys have a risk management initiative that's coming out of your office. I know there's a recent request for information that came from your office. Maybe give me a sense of, of those efforts and where the future vision is going I know due diligence is something that has business due diligence is something that has been tried before and has not been very successful. And I think the RFI is trying to say, okay, how can we do this better this time? Yeah, you pretty much captured it. <laughs> the supply chain effort is, I would characterize it sort of in three buckets, though they're very large buckets. <laughs> 
the White House did make a request to our um, advisory, the President's advisory by the National Security Telecommunications Advisory Committee on and sort of some, some real big kind of recommendations around supply chain. And um, so they'll, they'll be working on that. And we have our supply chain task force, which is being run through the, the new National Risk Management Center. And, you know, these are the attempt is to sort of get the uh, the right IT and communications companies together, and they're, they're being great partners on this, but to really look at um, what, are, what are the best ways that we can, again, make tangible progress. I'm always a little bit nervous when people start talking supply chain because you know, I've been in it enough to know that it can quickly become a boil the ocean sort of problem. But, you know, I think we've made a lot of progress and said, you know, what are the specific things that we can do now in the environment that we currently have you know, across, the, across the country? And what are the things that maybe we could look to to have a more secure and uh, supply chain in the future? And, um, you know, where are there initiatives that, frankly, have already got some, some good things going, and how can we adopt those and, and push them along? And, and so sort of looking at all of that. You did mention the RFI. This is part of our market research uh, as a part of future contractual requirements that we're interested in to support the program. And, and so we're trying to better understand the, uh, the, the marketplace around this to, to sort of help us conduct supply chain assessments, et cetera. The last bucket is, is very much federal focus, and whereas the other two are kind of what's our national challenge and what are the recommendations. The last bucket is really federal focused, and it's, it's sort of everything from looking at acquisition regulations, procurement policies, to providing, uh, in starting with high-value assets, providing them with some tools uh, to be able to have deep insight into what their supply chain actually is, and then to kind of continuously monitor that. So, um, so that's sort of the scope of, of what we're looking at in a, uh, in a, in a brief nutshell. <laughs> in a brief nutshell, yes, very much. <laughs> Jeanette, this has just been a, a wonderful conversation. There's so much more to talk to, but uh, I think we're out of time for today. So let me uh, thank my guest, Jeanette Amfro, the Assistant Secretary in the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications in the Homeland Security Department's National Protection and Programs Directorate. Uh, Jeanette, once again, thank you guys for uh, so much for taking the time and during this National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Thank you. You've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.